0: up don't get all tied up hoping you rise up the multiple lies of the multi-faceted multi-complex system of living that people are living stuck in inertia that's a diversion government worship instead we are searching ancient mysteries ancient history sacred energy and how to discern it. human autonomy truth the philosophy you of human psychopathy super anomalies human ecology you got lobotomies up in your consciousness all the thoughts that we've been dancing around the system once to you blow your candle out but we won't let it we reject it with our pathetic lies so we chan it down. chant it down.
1: Unraveling of a complex system that is grappable with the lives of you and everyone you know. Come untangle from this woven web to understand this crazy world. it down.
0: Welcome back to It Down Radio, I'm your host Loomis, this is It uh, Down Radio, channetdownradio.com is the website. And this is episode 212, and we deprogram from the deep program on this show. So welcome, everybody. Uh, if, if, if you're a first-time listener, don't be afraid to dive into the archives. As I always say, there's so much in there, a variety in there. And if you're a, a long time listener to the show, then mm-hmm. you're just back for another one. And if, you, and if you listen to this show, you are a seeker of truth, knowledge, and we chose a road of denying the system before us because we realize that we live in a world based on lies to keep us from understanding the truth. So we realized that the world can be a very cold, corrupt place and we don't want to support the institutions of society that make it like that. So we decided to take the different road going against the grains. We chose to go with our hearts instead of the system. We chose to go where our, our life is directed us. And with that sometimes comes a challenging life. Personally, in my own personal life, I often use cannabis in in my life to relax myself, to offset the insane world where I have to do the monotonous eight to five Monday through Friday kind of stuff. And also simply to add that extra bit of magic and vibrance to the monotonous world that just mixes it up, makes me feel better. And it provides for me also an escape and a reprieve from this insanity. You may or may not use cannabis as a listener, but many of you seem to. And of course, with the title of my podcast, "Chanted Down," you bet it also comes with the territory. But with use of any substance also comes the responsibility to balance that with life as well. Today's guest is Ryan Sprague. He's a cannabis coach, and he's about how to connect with cannabis, set intentions and experience the power of the flower without codependency, overuse and and abuse. So I welcome Ryan to the show here today to tell us about the different ways to experience the flower
1: without that overuse and abuse. So welcome, Ryan. Welcome to Chin It Down. Thank you so much, Loomis. I am excited as hell to be here with you, man. Your intro is awesome. I was like, yes, yes, yes. I agree with that too. Yes. So I am super excited to chant it down with you today, man. And uh, just super stoked to be here, man. It's been an amazing day and uh, this is going to make it even better.
0: Oh, awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. And I'm glad to have you on because um, I like to provide a lot of different perspectives on this show. And you know a lot of us do uh partake in substances to help us through this so i guess before we get into that though i guess first of all how did you get started on this path and end up with the title of cannabis coach that's a that's a very unique little niche you found there
1: yeah, yeah man you know it's so it's really a journey of following my heart you know and it sounds cliche right a lot of people follow your heart right but i'll explain and you know people can make their own meaning out of it so When I was 16, I started experiencing symptoms of anxiety and very similar to most people, right? Like, you know, I think we all go through anxiety in some way, shape or form. It's one of the many shades of the color wheel of life. And so at that age, I didn't know what I know now. So I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me and put me into a box of generalized anxiety disorder. And then all of a sudden they had all these things that were gonna fix me, right? All these pharmaceuticals. And so I tried every single pharmaceutical they recommended. And every time that one wouldn't work, I would feel, lose a little less hope, right? And I would be stuck thinking, is this the way my life's going to be forever, right? And, you know, at 16, like that's a really um, challenging thing to start thinking. And so after I tried the last pharmaceutical they had, which I believe was Paxil or something like that, and it once again just made me feel dead inside, it made me feel less connected to myself and uh, less connected to my surroundings as well. You know, I I was talking to a friend and, you know, again, when I when I recount this, I don't know how this conversation went as a 16-year-old, but I'm going to do my best with the language I have now. So basically what happened was I was talking to this individual and, you know, I was telling him about some of the things I was going through, right? Like about like, you know, having uh, this feeling come up in me when I was in social situations and things like that. And he was like, well, man, it sounds like, you know, whatever you're experiencing, I experienced too. And I just smoke weed to get through it, Right. And so I was like, interesting, because at that point, I had completely bought the propaganda from DARE that, you know, uh, cannabis was going to rot your brain. This is your brain on drugs. You know, uh, cannabis users are lazy, they're dirty, et cetera, et cetera. And so I had been doing the Nancy Reagan approach, just say no. And at that point, I decided to say, okay, maybe I'll say yes. And so I tried cannabis. And for the first time, I felt more connected to myself. And it was about the third time I tried it. Because you know, the first couple times you try anything, you have to figure out like, what even is this? What is the effect? And then do I like it? So by the third time, I realized, oh, I like this. And what I liked about it was that it gave me how I would describe now the opportunity to be the observer, where I realized that I was not my thoughts. I realized that something that was really me was watching the thoughts go by. And so I had that reorientation at that age and I just really loved it. And what I loved about it was that it was empowering. It made me realize I'm not broken. This isn't who I am. I'm not put in this box. I don't have anxiety. I'm experiencing shades of anxiety. Mainly because at that point in my life, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do with my life, right? At 16, that's an age where a lot of people start waking up and they're putting all this pressure on you to be like, what are you going to do the rest of your life? Which is fucking crazy to ask a 16. It's it's the most ridiculous thing ever. It's like, hey, you better know what you want to do by the time you're 18 because you're going to do it the rest of your life. It's like, yeah, no pressure, you know? And so. and so uh you know i ended up interacting with more and more cannabis and like many of your listeners uh you know i imagine they go through this too you know i found cannabis i loved cannabis it helped me but i never knew like how to get through this stuff on my own i never knew how much was too much i never knew about you know poor quality cannabis versus high quality cannabis all the things that i now teach and so this started a dependency pattern right of you know okay it was better than pharmaceuticals hands down but it was still a very similar pattern where I was dependent on something. And so around the age of 18, I graduated, get into school for psychology because at that point I had realized after interacting with cannabis a lot that I was fascinated by whatever the hell was going on in my mind. And so when I was 19, about a year into college, I woke up one day, I was cleaning my car and then I went to go to the bathroom and I peed blood and I had no idea why, right? Terrifying. And so uh, my dad takes me to the hospital and on the way there, he asked me, he goes, I just gotta know, are you doing drugs? Right. And I go, No, but I am interacting with a lot of cannabis. Now at that age, I probably said, I'm smoking a shit ton of pot, to be honest. Right. And so, so I saw him have this sigh of relief. And that was very interesting to me because my father was never like a, you know, never do this or you're kicked out or anything like that. But he was kind of just like, once again, Nancy Reagan, just say no, don't do it, that type of thing. Yeah. So I see him have the sigh of relief. And I'm like, that's interesting. So When I go to the hospital with him, I start showing him a lot of the research I have been doing on cannabis because at that point, we're talking like 2010, right around there, uh, there was a lot more research coming out. Uh, There was a documentary called Leaf by Dr. William Courtney, where essentially what he uh, was doing was he was a doctor who met this patient who had like 11 autoimmune disorders and he ended up having her juice raw cannabis leaves, so no intoxicating components here. She was getting THCA, CBD... Uh, the full scope of cannabinoids, uh, but without any intoxication. Because in order to get uh, intoxication from cannabis, you need to convert the THCA into Delta-9-THC through a process called decarboxylation. And so without heat or oxygen, you can't do that. And so uh, he was just using these leaves, and he put all 11 of her disorders into remission, and then they ended up getting married at the end. So it was a really cool story. And that was just one of the many things I was watching at that point. So because I usually forget to say this part, everyone's like, what the hell? Why were you peeing blood, right? So I'll tell people why I was peeing blood. So what happened was I had a benign cyst in my kidney that had broken open and put blood into my urine. So luckily, it was non-cancerous, but it made me realize at that point, first of all, mortality crisis, oh, I'm going to die one day. Second of all, why the fuck am I growing benign cysts on my kidneys, right? So at that point, I was like most teenagers. I was smoking cigarettes, you know, drinking every once in a while. I was never a big drinker. It never really worked for me, but I was eating Celeste pizzas, fast food, that kind of stuff, right? So after I get out of the hospital, I start going, okay, you know what? My choices matter in life. So I started getting into exercise. I started getting into health. And right around this time, we're probably around 2021 20, now, and I go to the Boston Freedom Rally, which is a big public display of disobedience where everyone comes out onto the green and they interact with cannabis and it's like a legalize it type of thing. And uh, as long as you're not doing anything that crazy, the cops don't bother you. So when I get there, I hear this guy yelling, who wants to make butter with me? So I'm like, huh. I imagine he's talking about a can of butter. I like can of butter. So I go over to his little booth and he's giving out these pamphlets for a basic 8-week cannabis semester opening up at this new institute called the New England Grassroot Institute. So I'm like, "Oh my goodness." And this is one of the first times that I felt what I would now call a fuck yes from something deeper within me, like my heart, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it. And so I go I go home and I tell my dad who, you know, after he had seen the research I was looking into, to his credit, he had no cognitive dissonance. You know, when we were in the hospital, he was like, listen, man, seems like you've really researched this. It seems like it's helping you. I know you went what you went through with anxiety. He's like, hey, if this is working for you, you. You're in school. You have a job. You're fulfilling responsibilities. He's like, I'm cool with it. So I go home and I tell him, I'm like, dad, there's a school opening. And me being a broke college student, I was like, can you help me with the tuition? It was like 500 bucks. It wasn't anything crazy. So he goes, yeah, and I'll do one better. I'll go with you. Right, So now my father, who does not interact with cannabis, but is just very curious about the world I'm getting into, starts coming to the school with me. So the first class I have there, I realized real quickly, okay, I'm going to stay in school for psychology, but I'm not going to be a therapist because I don't want to wear khakis the rest of my life. So when I went in there, I realized, holy shit, this is what I want to do. So my dad, being the unit he was... Told me he's like, well, if this is really what you want to do, you got to be the first one into that class every day. You got to be the last one out. You got to offer your help wherever you can. You got to show them you're serious. So I start doing that. I end up interning for them. I end up working for them. I end up, you know, passing out pamphlets in Boston Common and all around Boston for vote. Yes. On I think it was two for medical and medical passes. So right when medical passes, my father and I start cultivating together after I convinced him to buy me a grow kit. Uh, now we could legally and, uh, And he needed a good hobby too. You know, his business took a big hit after the recession and he was just stressing out all the time. So he wasn't interacting with cannabis. Once again, you know, he liked his control in life, but you know, it was something that I was like, you need a good distraction, dad. So let's do this father, son project. So our first harvest was not that great. And so that was part of the reason why he was like, okay, let's get you in the school and, you know, keep you learning stuff. So at that point they had released a grow course as well. So we sign up for that. I end up learning all about organic regenerative agriculture. I end up learning about Korean natural farming, mixing my own super soils, organic gardening, biodynamic gardening, all the different things. And we end up harvesting some really nice flour. And uh, you know, really the reason I was doing it was just to not have to buy cannabis that was terrible quality. I mean, at this point, like there was no dispensaries, not that dispensaries have anything better than the mids that was on the street these days. But, you know, what I realized was that you know, this experience was really opening me up to a lot of stuff. I was meeting new people. And at that point, like, you know, I was still interacting with cannabis unconsciously, right? I was still using it every day, not really thinking about why I was doing it, you know, but at least I was following my heart. And so then, uh, this is now 2014, I end up going to a music festival and interacting with MDMA for the first time. And I'm in Las Vegas, which my dad was a gambler, right? He wasn't like a, uh, a serial gambler. He was like, you'd go a couple times a year to Foxwoods and he'd always come back with more money than he left. But it was a tradition that we did as a family a lot. And so I'm there in Las Vegas. I'm going to steakhouses, which is another tradition of ours. And when I'm in the middle of the crowd on MDMA, I start feeling this big pull to my dad. And I figured I'm like, oh, well, I'm in Vegas. You know, he likes gambling. He likes steakhouses. I wish he was here kind of thing. So I just kind of wrote it off. Now, when I get home, nine days after I get home, he finds out he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so so he had just finished a three-year stint of bringing his brother every single week to Dana-Farber for cancer treatments. And our family, he'd gone through a couple of different family members having to do that because that's who my dad was. You know, he would always lend a hand. And, you know, he was the one person in our family besides my mother and my brother as well that kind of had their shit together. And so he would always be the one that would help out when things got rough. And so he elected to not do chemo and radiation. And at this point, when we were at the school together, we had met a lot of people that were curing their cancer with the help and aid of cannabis. Now, I always say this in every episode I mention this in. Number one. I'm not just talking out of my ass here there are pubmed studies out there that show that thc kills cancer cells cbd inhibits their growth and the whole entire scope of cannabis can help in cancer the other thing i want to say is it's not like you can continue living a shitty lifestyle and eating terrible food and stressing yourself out and take cannabis as a magic pill and it will just cure your cancer but what can happen is that you can get your life in check you can interact with cannabis to stop the cancer where it's at and start killing it off and you can remediate your cancer holistically. And so we had met a lot of people that had done this. I started saying, Hey, why don't we start actually giving you some cannabis? Cause at this point he had still never interacted with cannabis since like the eighties or whatever. And so he decided he was like, all right, after a couple of weeks, he started having some pain he was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to do something. So my father, I knew was not going to quit smoking cigarettes. He was not going to quit drinking soda. He was not going to quit doing the things that although they weren't my tastes in life, they were my father, right? Like the person that had loved me, the person that had raised me, that's who he was, right? So I had an opportunity there. I had a choice. Either do I love my father for the person he's always been, that's loved me, that's taken care of me, that supported me, or do I try to change him and mold him into the perversion of him that I think he should be so I can selfishly try to keep him around, right? And I chose the first way. I said, you know what? You know, I know that this is going to take his life because he wasn't going to change his lifestyle, but at least let me help him through the end of his life and help him feel comfortable. And so we took our last harvest that we ever grew together and we turned it into RSO, which is Rick Simpson oil or FICO full extract cannabis oil, which is the method with cannabis that is talked about with curing cancer and helping cancer, um, you know, be killed off. And so we end up feeding him that. And, uh, when I'm giving it to him, Obviously, I would sit with him. I would be a sitter, right? Because now here's someone who's never interacted with cannabis, now interacting with the strongest form of cannabis on planet Earth, right? <laughs> so I would sit with him to make sure that, like, I, you know, that he was comfortable. He didn't have any questions, things like that. So during this time is when I really discovered the true power of cannabis. I had already discovered how it had helped me with anxiety, it helped me connect more to myself. But here's where I really realized it, because during that time with my father, you know, I'm an only child. I do have a stepbrother and stepsister who are very close to me. But, you know, I'd grown up an only child. They're 20 years older than me. And so a different marriage from him. And so, you know, I had been with my father my entire life. You know, we were very close. Uh, We were always hanging out. But all of a sudden, when I interacted with cannabis with him, all of a sudden, all these stories are coming out about his childhood that I had never heard before, He was able to create closure with his grandchildren, his other children, myself, my mother, and most importantly, his own mortality. We got to take the heaviness out of subjects like death, which, you know, when like death is looked at as this thing is like an ending. And what changed was that, you know, we were able to look at it as just another beginning in an infinite sea of chapters in this story we call existence or whatever we want to call it. And so during that time, you know, not only did we have this connection deepening benefit, and not only did I watch it happen with everyone in his life, but after he passed, you know, I realized that I don't know if I would have gotten that time of my father if it had not been for cannabis. Now, I can't say for sure, but personally, I choose to believe that I would not have had that time because it allowed him to relax. It allowed him to, uh, it did slow his cancer growth. We were getting scans back that his cancer was still growing, but it was growing much slower. And so I got that extra 10 months of my father because they had uh, told him, he never told me that he had two months to live um when he got diagnosed and so this was in july so he would have passed in september he ended up surviving all the way until uh june 24th the following year and so i got a lot of extra time with him to sit with my emotions to talk to him you know he had time to tell me all the things he wanted to tell me and so after he passed i realized i was like you know what this is my fucking life like this is what this is the the hill i will die on for sure on 100 percent And so after he passed, I ended up working at a dispensary near my house. They had opened and I... Uh, yeah, they were just starting to open and, uh, they were the seventh dispensary that opened in the state and I just called them every single fucking day until they finally just put me in touch with the hiring manager. They weren't even fully built out yet. And I just would not let it go. And so finally they were like, all right, this kid's, you know, resilient, like let's get, let him in. So I ended up working there for five years with so over 5,000 medical patients. Um, I ended up helping them with holistic health and all the different things. Cause I was a check trained coach at that point. Um, I didn't call myself a coach, but I was trained in the four doctors, six foundation principles, you know, uh, healthy eating, healthy living, et cetera, et cetera. So here are all these people coming in that are looking for relief from cannabis and i would also help them with this other stuff too because cannabis is one piece of a holistic health puzzle but it's like i said before it's not going to remediate a bad diet you know poor sleep quality things like that so i started to form a reputation of the dispensary of like the guy that people would go to with all their problems right and so i loved this it was really exciting for me and so after about four years there uh, a company bought us out that was a typical corporation before that we were run by a gentleman who was in it for all the right reasons. He was in New York when 9/11 happened. He was a very high up finance executive and he had to run through the streets, almost died like, you know, right in the center of Manhattan when everything went down and he had terrible PTSD from that. And the only thing that got him back to work and feeling like himself was cannabis. And so he dedicated and said, when I retire, I'm going to invest into the dispensary and help other people access this medicine. And so that was the energy of the person I was working for for the first four years I was there. The second type of person I was working for was someone who uh, their projection on a spreadsheet showed this was their next cash cow. So here they were, right? And so real quickly, I realized that uh, this was out of alignment for me. And originally, I played the victim. I was like, this sucks. You know, I wish these people didn't take us over. But looking back in hindsight, it was actually the best gift ever. And I really am grateful for them doing it because it triggered me so hard that it forced me to make a move. And so what happened was I went out to Las Vegas once again. I don't know what it is with this place, but I went out there for a conference called MJ BizCon to go out there with my girlfriend who I had met at the dispensary and a gentleman named Devin Alexander, who's a gangster and a really good friend of mine. And we went out there because we were like the aspiring entrepreneurs of the dispensary. So we were like, we'll go out there and find investors of our own. We'll bring love-grown cannabis to the world. We'll do this. No big deal. It'll be easy. So we go out there, we go to this convention, and it was just so many more Chad and Brad's, right? It was so many more suit and tie game, just like how many grams per square foot can you make me or grow me? How cheap can you do it, right? Like all the stuff that we were looking to escape from, from the dispensary back home. So what I want to, you know, really uh, illuminate here is that we went out there with a lot of expectations. Okay, we're going to find this thing, we're going to do it, it's going to be easy, right? So after the third day of this event, we realized real quick, like, well, shit, I guess that didn't happen. So we then left our expectations behind and it was our last night there. And so I talked to Rachel and I'm like, you know, what do you want to do? It's our last night here. And she's like, you know, can we like do some Molly and good with strip club? And I was like. Hell yeah. Because I, as innocent as it sounds, I had never been to a strip club before. She had never been to one before. And so we decided, screw it. Let's go together and see what happens. So we go to the strip club. We have an absolute blast. We're talking to the strippers. They're, you know, they're telling us their life plans. We were just having a ball. And we ended up leaving far too late. We left at like eight in the morning. And we had a flight at one. And Rachel had told me, keep track of time because I want to be out of here by like four. Right. So when we realized what time it was, she was working on a very big project at that point for Chicago, Illinois dispensary, like a 600 page application. So she wanted to get some sleep so she could work on that at the plane because it was a really stressful thing. And so when she realized it was eight in the morning, I watched her go through this like emotional challenge. Right now, because I was so hard open from MDMA, I empathized with her. And in that moment, I realized, holy shit, I have been numbing out I haven't felt any emotion in so long because I realized in that moment that like Joseph Campbell states, bliss is any emotion felt all the way through. Now, at that time, I had been essentially spiritually bypassing myself and only accessing feelings of happiness that weren't truly happiness. It was just me distracting the hell out of myself with cannabis, with cycles of busyness, all this stuff to prevent me from feeling the pain of my father not being here anymore. And so, and some other things too. And so in that moment, I was like, holy shit, what is happening right now? And so I empathize with her, we go back to the hotel, we get like an hour and a half of sleep, we're on the plane and, you know, here I am, hour and a half asleep, uh, going back home, you know, it's kind of like chaos, right? Like, you know, there's all the things that, you know, a lot of processing going on, but I'm in a bliss state because I'm like, oh my God, I just unlocked a whole new level of life. And so when I go home, I start, well, on the plane actually, I start asking myself, what the hell has been preventing me from feeling feelings? And immediately I hear a voice going, you're numbing out with cannabis, right? And you're numbing out with cycles of business and you're numbing out with all these things. You need to stop all the protectors in your life and actually feel your life in its totality. And so I go home and I decide to take a three-month break from cannabis. So I'm still working at the dispensary at this point. Huge identity crisis for me because at that point, I thought cannabis had done this to me. I was still playing the victim. I was like, oh my goodness, this plant objectively makes people numb out and I've dedicated my, my whole life to this. What's going on? After about a month into this, I realized, oh, this has nothing to do with the plant. This is totally me because there's other people that have not had this issue. So I know it's not an objective thing. So after about three months, uh, I then quit the dispensary. During this time, I quit the dispensary uh, because it was no longer in alignment. I wasn't numbing it out. I start my podcast. I start my business. All the things that I had been yearning to do that I've been blaming the whole world for why I couldn't do, I realized it's all me. If I created this problem, I can get myself out of it. So I remediate all these things. Right after that, the pandemic happens. So now I'm able to um, have a lot of time by myself with myself. I end up uh during this time starting to pour my heart on Facebook out, right? Like just pouring my heart out on different subjects, perspective, balance, whatever I'm feeling on the moment. And in one of them, I talk about language. And I tagged this guy, Mark England, that I had heard on the podcast three years prior when I was working in cultivation there at the dispensary. And an hour later, I get a voice note in my inbox. And me and Mark joke, this is the only good thing Facebook's ever done, right? Okay. And so Mark messages me and he goes, hey, man, we should hop on a call. I really like what you're saying. So I hop on a call with him and he's like, hey, man, you ever thought about being a coach? Now, at this point, I didn't really know what he meant. Like I knew kind of what coaching was, but I didn't really get it. But something in me just said, say yes. So I said Yes. And he goes, well, dude, I got this program, man. You know, I think you'd be a great fit in it. And at this point, I had about three grand in my name. My rent was paid. I wasn't like, you know, about to like make a really challenging life decision. But it was most of my savings. And the program was 2700 So I'm like, I got to call you back. So I call Rachel. And I'm like, what should I do? She's like, well, what does your heart say? I'm like, do it. And she's like, then why the hell are you even calling me? I'm like, all right, message received. So I call him back. I sign up for the program. I get in there. And my whole life takes off from that point, right? I start realizing, holy shit, this is exactly what I want to do. I end up connecting with cannabis again after that, because I realized, hey, I have this pattern with cannabis. So now I'm going to start only interacting with it twice per week. I'm going to do it on the weekends when I'm least prone to stress. And I'm going to start tuning in rather than tuning out. So now I'm going to keep track of all the challenges I have throughout the week. And with cannabis, I'm going to specifically ask to go directly into them because that's gonna break my pattern of numbing out with it, right? And so that's the start of this journey and we can take it from there, but that's my origin story of why cannabis and why me and why I'm into this. It's really wasn't anything logical, it's just my story, it's exactly what I've gone through and now with Connect With Cannabis, that's exactly what we help other people do. We help them break dependent patterns, we help them create a healthy relationship with it, we help them create ownership of their lives, we help them create intentions, create ceremony with cannabis, and we certify them to help other people do it too, because this is a rising epidemic. People just don't realize that cannabis can do these things, uh, both the positive things, and also they don't realize that they can use it in a way that's going to make them numb out their emotions. And so we're bringing attention to this issue that not a lot of people are talking about in the industry.
0: Wow. I really like that story because it shows me, well, quite a few things, but when you follow your heart, your heart, you go get led to one thing which leads to another thing which leads to another thing and it and it and it's not anything you could ever conceive but you go through the trials and tribulations and you wonder why you're doing this and that but your path still keeps on going and that's that's something that I can totally relate to on my story as well and what's great is that it's something very unique and individualized for you to be able to share this with the world because mm. you've gone through these trials where you didn't want to use it, and then you realized, wait, there is a use for it, and it's brought you all over the place to where you are now. And I think that's really awesome. And I, it's a, it's a, um, it's a testimony of how we go through life and trust our heart rather than what other people want us to do, and what comes mm. with that. And when the plant leads you in a certain way, too, a plant, the plant can actually help you and lead you. And that's one of the positives I've seen in my own life with cannabis. Um, Yes. I think the problem is we're not given a manual in which to ingest (laughs) cannabis. You know, for so many years, it was this um, illegal thing that you got to be careful who you talk about it with, you know, and most of my life, you had to find some stranger and be like, Hey, Hey, I heard you have the good shit. And, and you, it, <laughs> you know, and you have to, and you don't know what you're getting and you have to possibly hang out with a long, uh, somewhere at his house for a long time. So you don't even know, like you don't even know him, and you don't even have much in common <laughs> with them. And then, and then you, and you, He doesn't want you to leave right away because you don't want to look suspicious coming in (laughs) and out of his house. And you wait on someone for a really long time just to score a bag. But people these days, especially in the legal states of America, don't even know how hard it used to be, I don't think. But now you can walk in a dispensary and get exactly the type that you need. But we never are, again, given the proper use of it. And I think that's the area to start with is like, you know, what is someone's proper use of it? Like, where, where does mm-hmm. someone go, hey, what what do I need to do with it instead of just smoke it all the time?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, for me, I tell people, like, I like to act as a control-out-delete because if anyone listening is like me, you know, you get into analysis paralysis real quick. You might hear what I'm saying and go, oh, my God, what do I do? I got to shift everything around. It's like, relax, take a breath, right? Like, the three-step process I give people is set an intention, right? What is your why? What do you even want from this medicine? What do you want it to help you with? Because cannabis being a feminine medicine, its job is not to know why you're deciding to interact with it. That's your end of the bargain. I always use the analogy like Texas Hold'em, right? If you want to play the game, you have to have a buy-in. So the intention is your buy-in to being able to interact with it consciously. And so then the second step becomes creating a ceremony. Now, a ceremony is just a setting in which your intention could play out within. So what I never want people to walk away from episodes I'm on with is me saying that there's objectively right and wrong ways to interact with the plant. There's not, right? Like if you enjoy interacting with the plant, and going to a concert or you enjoy watching a show every once in a while those things are not objectively bad it just means are you unconsciously doing it because you do it every night and you haven't thought about it in a while or have you had a really wild week and maybe you and your partner are deciding that you want to connect and watch a show together and now you can make an intention of i want to increase connection between my partner and i and watch the show that we're both really fired up about then the ceremony might be you sitting in bed together burning some sage, doing a seven directional prayer, whatever you want to do. And then after you've done the ceremony, right? And you've had the experience, the third step and the most important one I find for being able to actually allow cannabis to help your experience of life become more great and grand in nature is integration, right? Like if you want to interact with plant medicines consciously, integration is not optional. And integration could be as simple as what did I feel in that experience? And what can I do in my day-to-day life that helps me feel that way? So maybe, I always use this analogy too. So maybe let's say you go into a uh, ceremony with the intention of wanting to overcome a creative block that you're experiencing in your life, right? You're just like, something's up. I don't know what it is, but I'm experiencing, like I'm, I'm not playing music as well as I usually do. I'm not, you know, I just feel stagnant. And so you make the intention, cannabis, please help me, uh, please help illuminate for me what this creative block is. So then you go into your ceremony, maybe for this one, you lay down with an eye mask on, maybe you take a walk, maybe you're doing breath work. Uh, maybe you're, you know, going to play guitar, whatever it is. Right. So you go into this experience and you start having this feeling of like, Oh my God, I really want to paint more. Yeah. I've been so called to painting, but I've been like judging myself because I'm not a painter and I feel like I'd suck at it, but I just really feel this called to painting. Right. So If you were normally using cannabis and you weren't, and you were using unconsciously, you would maybe get that high D or a download. You would come out of it and then it would just fade away like a dream. If you're integrating, what you would do is you could even do this in the experience, which is why I so much think that people are sleeping on cannabis when it comes to other plant medicines. Because if you're in a deep psilocybin journey or an ayahuasca, you're not probably going to be able to find your phone and sign up for an art class right there with yeah. cannabis. You could be like, oh my God, I want to buy a paint kit. You go on Amazon or wherever, you buy your paint kit, right? You go up and you sign up for that for that art class. So you can integrate on the go. So that's what integration would look like in that scenario, right? It's like, okay, what was that idea that I got? Right. And I use the term idea because that's idea. really what it is. I like it. What was yeah, what was that idea? And how do I take that and learn that I can experience that every day in my day-to-day life by following the breadcrumb trail that is coming from my heart? Because I think the mistake a lot of people make is they end up thinking that cannabis is objectively addictive or that cannabis is objectively dependent forming. But it's not right. Like what is addictive is that if you're living in feelings of discomfort, you will find and externalize and find and seek out feelings of comfort from anything. Right. So whether it's cannabis, alcohol, nicotine, um, you know, sex, porn, food, TV, whatever it is, right? You'll find something to provide feelings of comfort until you start realizing that you can provide those feelings for yourself and that they're much more sustainable when you do it that way. And so for me, what I tell everyone is that. If you start to actually integrate what cannabis is teaching you, you will start moving more and more into comfort. Now, it does not mean that you're Life will be without challenges, but you'll know that you can overcome them because you'll start telling yourself and proving yourself over and over that you can help yourself. You can be your own guru in life. You don't need to always externalize your power and want to run away and escape your problems, right? And again, I did this for a long time. That's why I can talk about it. That's why I can spot it so easily on other people because it's literally my story, right? So I don't want anyone to like hear this and be like, oh, this kid never experienced it. Like, no, that's literally what a lot of my life was for a long time. was just using the plant to escape what I was experiencing. But then the problem is that when the feelings come back in, you need more of it, right? And then like, think about it, you know, like cannabis is uh, just starting to be legal, you know, in a couple of places, but what if I wanted to travel to Italy? right? If I was dependent on cannabis, now I'm going to be worried about how I'm going to find cannabis over there. I'm going to get myself into maybe sketchy situations. When in reality, if I know that I can be my own guru and I can learn from the plant, then I know I don't need it, right? And the difference there is codependency versus a power couple dynamic. And that's what we help people do in the program is go from codependency into a power couple dynamic, because paradoxically, it's in the absence of something that your heart can grow fonder for it. And so how I relate this to people with cannabis is that A lot of the times, if you're interacting with cannabis all the time, I'd argue to say you don't even really know what you love about it. You know it might make you feel better, right? But you miss a lot of the subtleties that you won't miss if you take those breaks regularly. And so I use this analogy where say you're living with a romantic partner for like, say, 10 years, right? You guys have been together for a while. You've been living together. Life is pretty much the same, mundane every day. You wake up the same way. They make your breakfast the same way. They kiss you the same way before you leave for work, yada, yada, yada. Then they leave, right? They go on an epic month long retreat with their friends or something, right? So the first day you wake up, you're like, "Oh, cool. I get the house to myself." By day 10 or 12, you're like, holy shit, I never realized how much that kiss meant to me before I left for work. I never realized how much I can't cook sweet potato hash the same way my partner does, right? You start realizing all the little things were really the big things. The same thing happens with cannabis. And the great thing is, too, that when you start tuning in with cannabis rather than tuning out, what also starts happening is that, say, once again, you're living with a romantic partner for a long time, and you've been in their scope of awareness for a long time. So let's say you need advice one day and typically the person you go to is your romantic partner and they're not available. They're not available to give you advice. Well, most people can intuitively feel what that person would say to them, even if they're not there. The same thing starts happening with cannabis. You start being able to catch the drift of like, well... I imagine this is what it would show me right now. I imagine it would tell me that it's more me than actually the finger I'm pointing out there. I would imagine it tell me that if I'm pointing one finger, three are pointing back at me. So what's going on in me that's causing this, right? Like So you start to be able to actually start having the plant work with you even when you're not interacting with it. And so there's so much magic there that happens. But again, it's in the absence of it that your heart grows fonder for it. It's really paradoxical, but really fucking cool.
0: (laughs) Hey, I like that. I like that a lot. I think, um, well, yeah. So I guess how would somebody know... How much is enough? Like, so for you, mm-hmm. you say you do, you smoke two nights a week or two days a week mm-hmm. or whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't have a pattern. I smoke probably about four to possibly five nights a week. And mm-hmm. I think it's a little too much, uh, mm-hmm. at times because, well, I'm uh, one thing is my relationship with cannabis has met a rough patch in my, my 40, I'm in my forties now and mm-hmm. I don't feel good the next day anymore all the time I only mm. smoke it at, I like to smoke it at night I don't like being high in the day personally I feel Same. cloudy the next day and kind of dull though when I smoke it so I would say that's what you would call a weed hangover but my body has changed since my 20s I don't I don't like it like I used to I still mm. partake but it's not always worth running ruining the next morning kind of feeling so I'm just using myself as an example I, I could use my neighbor who I saw going to work with a joint in his mouth, goes. Wait, well goes. Wait, <laughs> I gotta smoke with my girlfriend. Then comes out with a new joint for work, and I was like, "What? You're gonna smoke? You get to smoke at work?" He's like, yeah. And they got a bong out in the back. This guy's high all day. So I know I don't want to do that, <laughs> right? But yeah. I, I also know that there everybody's got their own little. Probably everybody's different. But I guess um, what, what do you, what, what, do all that make you think when I say that? Does that make you think of like overuse or just? I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, there's, uh, you know, I love this question because this is what a lot of people ask me. Well, how much, right? How much should I be interacting with? How often? Mm-hmm. And what I tell everyone is, you know, you actually did exactly what I was going to tell people, which is you already know the answer, right? You know, if what you're doing is too much and you might not have a reason for it, but what you said is like four or five nights a week, you know, I feel like that's a little too much, right? So start mm-hmm. there, right? Like, Okay. What's your goal, right? Your goal would be, well, I want to interact with the plant and feel like it's the perfect dose. Okay, that's your goal, right? So you could do a couple of things. One, you could set that as your intention to go directly into cannabis and allow cannabis to tell you like what the plant thinks about how much you're interacting with and how you might be able to remediate that. Number two, though, life is all about telling ourselves the truth, right? So for me, I knew that when I took that break, I was a daily user for about 10 years. I knew I needed a complete clean break for a while. I needed to separate myself completely and I needed to handle some stuff. And then there was a certain point where I started going, okay, my pattern is to numb out when uh uncomfortable things happen. So I looked at my life and I said, Well, the most uncomfortable things for me happen on the weekdays because I'm running a business. You know, I have clients, I have these kind of things going on. So for me, I realized, okay, I want to take cannabis out of any. Uh, you know, situation in which I'm uncomfortable. So for me, immediately that became, okay, I'm going to interact on the weekends. So a good objective thing here is something my buddy Paul says, which is anything you can't take three days off of owns you. And again, if you want to be in a conscious, independent relationship with the plan, where you can be a power couple dynamic with it, you can't have it own you, right? You have to own the relationship. And so what I would say for most people is that a minimum three-day break per week is a great place to start. From there, it's all subjective, right? For me, it's about knowing myself. So I knew Monday through Friday, that little voice is going to come in, "Just, just interact with cannabis, man. You know, like, it's no big deal. You've been doing this for three years now. You could totally do it. No, because I'm not naive enough to think that I won't fall back in that same pattern. Again, like knowing thyself is a big part of it. And so for me, What I tell clients to do is just keep a tracker, right? And this is one of the main things we do in the program is we have them track what was your intention? How was your ceremony? How did you integrate it? What were the challenges that came up when throughout the day are you looking to interact with cannabis the most like for most people if they're having a great day they're not usually thinking about interacting with cannabis as much as when they have a challenge come up especially like a communication breakdown in the relationship or something like that it's just like fuck it dude i'll just go smoke a joint right keep track of those things and then make your intention if you decide to interact with cannabis there might be a time where you want to take a break for a long while But if you decide that like, okay, I'm going to start doing these weekly breaks and things like that, what I started doing was keeping track of all my challenges. Like, okay, on Wednesday, Rachel and I had a really big disagreement and I felt like really triggered over it. Okay, cool. Uh, On Thursday, I had a client not show up for a call and I felt really frustrated that they wasted my time. Okay, cool. So then when I connect on the weekends, I go, cannabis, I had this communication breakdown with Rachel and I think there's something I'm missing. Please show me, help me and teach me what I might be missing here. And normally what happens is I realize, shit, I was at least equally to blame in that situation. And you know what? Because I noticed it, I'm going to go apologize. And then the second I do that, you know, she's going to be like, oh my God, me too. And this happens like both ways. It's not always me apologizing first and the yada yada. Like she knows a lot of this stuff too. But it as an example, like, you know, a lot of the times like we already know the answer. It's just that the voice is telling us not to know it. The voice is telling us, no, you have a point here. You you deserve to be upset, right? That voice is like the teenager upstairs that yells and listens to loud music, whereas the wisdom voice is much quieter like a grandmother or grandfather, right? And so like you have to quell the voice up here to be able to hear that. And so that's what cannabis helps a lot with is that it, like scientifically, it takes you out of the ego and default mode network. It takes you out of Bander brainwaves and brings you into alpha and theta. And so it can be a great pattern interrupt for that. But what we teach in the program also is that you can learn how to do that on your own. And that way, cannabis can continue teaching you deeper and deeper lessons. Cause let's face it, right? Like if you're having, let's say a communication breakdown in the relationship, you set an intention to figure out what's going on. You go from the head into the heart and you realize, Oh my goodness. I was pointing the finger three were pointing back at me. Well. If you don't learn that, right, then the next time you have a communication breakdown, cannabis has to keep teaching that over and over and over, right? Now, what might happen is maybe the next three times you catch the drift, and then maybe a different trigger happens that's a deeper wound in you. Maybe, you know, uh, someone tells you, yeah, you know, uh, you're not lovable, right? And all of a sudden, oh, that's a really big one. So then you get super triggered, right? And now you go into cannabis, and cannabis is like, this is kind of the same thing but a deeper level of it. Okay, that's great, right? Cuz now you're making progress. But what I tell everyone is you know that 3-day break is really powerful. Um you know, in order for cannabis to work transcendentally and spiritually as the in the way that I talk about, a weekly break is really crucial for that. In shamanic and indigenous cultures, the shamans, they interact with cannabis uh twice per week is how much they interact with it. And they say the exact same thing. And it was very interesting when I learned this because this came to me intuitively. And I had a really interesting feeling that I did not make this up by any means, that I was just rediscovering something that had been lost throughout antiquity. And when I started t- talking to people like Hamilton Southern and people that are in the tribes down on the Amazon and people like this, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, that's what they all do. And I was like, no shit. Right. And so that three day is a great place to start. And then just being honest with yourself. Right. Like, am I numbing out with this? Am I tuning out or am I tuning in? And then from there, a great place to go is like, all right, even if I notice that I am tuning out, let me ask, what am I tuning out to? And then make my intention to go directly into that. And that can be a great place too, because then what you're going to start doing is creating a different relationship with cannabis. Where now instead of cannabis being the thing you run away with, it'll be the thing that your body starts going, no, don't interact with that. Cause then we're going to have to go directly into that. Right. And so you'll naturally use less and less. And so it can be a really good pattern interrupt in that way.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, you said that something intuitively came to myself and I realized Mm -hmm. when I ever have any problems personally, um, I don't actually like to smoke weed in numb out. Um, that's mm-hmm. just how I work because I don't like because it ruins my high. See, yes. I like to go high and I like to be free when I'm high. And if I'm going through trouble, I usually don't smoke. Um, so that's a that's um, just something that was a re- reaffirming my use while you were talking. It just came in my head. But yeah, yeah. That, that's that's mm-hmm. cool. What you said about the shot. The shamans and how they use it about two times a week, and I think that's a that's a really good uh, method for a lot of people because the overuse will come out in your life. You like when I smoke too much, like I said, I get that kind of um, that kind of hangover feeling and I'm not yeah. as clear and tired. And I don't want to be that way. So this a couple times a week is probably a good way for a lot of people to do it. I think what keeps me always going back to smoking too, though, and this is what I love about the plant, and I'm sure you can say a lot to this, is is the magic of the plant. Sometimes I can get the right high and get into a really creative mode, and that's what I normally use it for, is I am a creative person. I'll also notice synchronicity because it slows me Mm. down to a good place. Things I wouldn't normally recognize in my my fast life pattern kind of thing, and another thing, <laughs> uh, I'm an ex hip hop ly- lyricist. When and when I used to freestyle and get into these zones, I I, I or or practice my written material, I was able to have lyrics flow out of my mouth so perfectly. And it shows this plant shows me magic, and and it shows me uh, a miraculous energy outside the system. And that's what I love about the plant. I'm sure you can say a lot to that, probably.
1: Yeah. You know, like one thing I'll say real quick is, um, you know, I think the best kept secret of cannabis is that cannabis is already showing you who you could be past your limiting patterns, your limiting stories and all the things that you tell yourself you can't, couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't be or any of these things. Right. And so I think that's the best kept secret that when people start, like, even if someone listening is like, all right, I'll try this out. Right. Just try it out. And I promise you something really big will happen where all of a sudden you start catching the drift of like, oh, shit. Cannabis is only showing me who I already am, right? Either for positive in the state like you were in, where like, oh my God, my words come out perfectly, I can slow down, or negatively, right? In the sense that like, oh my God, like I, I was anxious already. It didn't make me anxious, it didn't make me lazy. I was already these things. Oh my goodness, right? But if you were already those things and you made yourself those things, you can also be the one to get yourself out. Same way I was talking about before. And I think what you said before is a really good way for anyone listening to this to start to catch the drift of what I'm saying if they haven't experienced it yet, which is whenever I get in an argument, right? Before I had this experience and I understood what I understand now, if I got in an argument with something, someone, and like that person I knew I was going to see in a little while, I would not want to interact with cannabis because something in me knew that the second I interact with the plant, I'd want to apologize. And there'd be a voice that'd be like, no, fuck that. Don't do that. Right? Right. So I think for everyone listening, that might be something they can relate to where like if you're really thinking you're right in an argument, right? And like not a discussion where like, you know, you both leave a little like upset and you're like, you want to connect again, but like one that like maybe, you know, maybe someone that really is being mean to you, right? And so you try to checkmate them by saying like, yeah, well, you're this, this and that and then really hurt them because maybe they hurt you and you feel like I got them, right? The last thing you're going to want to do is interact with cannabis because something in you knows the second you do that ego, that like hard version of yourself is going to soften and you're going to realize that even if objectively you were right, right, you're still going to want to be like, hey, you know what? Um, This isn't going to help us through our problem. But your ego is going to be like, no, I don't want to admit that I was wrong. I don't want to admit that maybe I overreacted. I don't want to admit that I was any part in any way Part to blame in this. So it will keep you from interacting with the plant. And so that's a really good way. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that even before I knew all this, I could draw back so many, like so many examples of when cannabis will work in that way. And I think that with what you were saying, part of the reason cannabis can give us that hangover is because, you know, a lot of people, we interact with it really close to bed and it will impact REM sleep negatively. Now, uh, I actually uh, talked to a pharmacologist who uh, is basically, she's really an expert with cannabis pharmacology. And so she was saying, actually, the study that showed it impacted REM sleep negatively was done in the 70s, and it's not really the full truth. And I had already tapped into this a little bit on my own because I have an aura ring. And so I started experimenting like, okay, does cannabis objectively make REM sleep decrease? And what I found was if you smoke it right before bed, yes. If you're smoking it all day up until when you go to bed, Yes. But if you're interacting with it, say a couple times at a night, right? Maybe you start at 6 PM, you know, you smoke a couple of joints or whatever, but you stop at say nine and you go to bed at 11 or midnight, your REM sleep stays perfect. And I've done this on my own O-ring. So again, anecdotal evidence. I know I didn't do this with a double blind, whatever, but at the same time, I've noticed that, you know, a lot of the times it's not like even that cannabis will give you that hangover. It's just that we might be using it too close to when we're going to bed. Plus the other thing too is, Cannabis releases uh, what I believe is ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone. And it also, that's what gives you the munchies. And so uh, the munchies are a really interesting thing because not only does it release ghrelin, but also it raises the pH of our blood to a more alkaline state, which is my hypothesis why you get into this like spiritual mode, like this very heightened state, because you're in a more alkalized state. But your body, right, being the physical body, has no fucking clue what's going on. So it starts to crave fats and sugars to bring you back down to about a 7.0. And the only study I could find in this shows that um, people's blood that were interacting with cannabis was up around 7.5. So I'm not talking like you're getting to 11, but you know, like it's a little bit more alkaline. So your body wants to stay around seven. So it starts craving fats and sugars, but it's a thirst trap because if you start giving into the munchies, what happens is it actually starts to bring down those transcendental and spiritual properties. And so if you want to do away with that, you can put pink Himalayan salt or Icelandic salt or Celtic salt under your tongue, which will trick your body into feeling satiated and keep you in that high alkaline state. So I think a lot of the times the reason that it can keep you in that hangover is because too close to bed, whatever foods you eat, once you get the munchies and you know that kind of stuff for sure.
0: Oh, that's great. That's good to know. I will try that.
1: That's yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>, awesome. <laughs> it's pretty cool, man. It works. <laughs> yeah.
0: There are right ways to use every plant. And I think that with the 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 way that this world was colonized and Big Pharma took over by the rock and the throwing out of the indigenous uh, uses, the ethnobotany of the plants, we have no clue how to survive in nature, of course, but also no clue on, you know, what the use of these plants are. Uh, and we need to get back to that. I think it's a, an important thing, not just with, um, marijuana, but with all plants in our world, we need to understand these things. And, uh, and so weed is one of those things that it's just been used recreationally so long that people don't have a manual, like I said earlier.
1: And that's, that's cool exactly, thing. Yeah. you know, it's funny you say that because literally the line I say all the time is all of us want to do good with this plant, but none of us got a user manual for it. So what I say, connect with cannabis is, is the long lost user manual for cannabis, right? It's like the manual that we all wish we received. It's kind of like we're driving a car or we're getting into a car, but we have no manual and we've never seen a car before. So eventually we realize, okay, this thing turns the things down there that are circular, the thing runs on. Um, Every once in a while, the engine smokes. I have no idea what that's about. Then one day you find the manual and you're like, oh, this thing takes this thing called oil. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I don't put water in the gas tank. I put this stuff called gas. Oh, this is a transmission. Oh, that's why R means reverse, I guess. Okay, drive means, oh, that's how I go forward, right? So like, we're all winging it and trying the best we can. But, you know, what I tell people is that, you know, I don't think anyone woke up one day and decided, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll become dependent on this plant and numb out all my emotions with it. But people are just unaware to the fact of how cannabis works they're also unaware to emotions. I mean, let's face it. We didn't really learn a whole lot in school. And the thing is with plant medicines that with great power comes great responsibility. But most of us don't really know how to be responsible with it because we are understated of how much power it has. And so as we start to understand the power and we start to understand that, oh, it actually works better when I do all of these things that, you know, like Ryan's talking about or like Loomis is talking about, right? Like it actually works better and I get more, to un- more desirable results. And I actually start realizing that it can help my whole experience of life become psychedelic in nature oh, I'm down for that, you know? And so it's very interesting you said that, man, because that's exactly what I say all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. What do you say to somebody who gets too
0: high? Like, I've gotten too high before. I'm sure you have too. Yes. Um, I think one time, this was years years ago, but I took a gravity bong head at somebody's house, and I thought I died. It was like psychedelic. Mm. It was scary, though. Mm-hmm. And I've had times before where I've gotten too high, and I'm like, I couldn't breathe right, and I just really was like, um, you know, scared. And I know that you don't die from cannabis, but there is some <laughs> scary things. If you ingest too much, especially uh, what do you, what are your, what are some remedies to someone who gets too high?
1: Yes. So I'll go into two different types of remedies. One is more like quantitative, like things you can actually use in terms of like products and things like that. And then I'll go more into like the Uh, more spiritual, emotional, mental side of it. So the first thing is there's two things that I know you can use to be able to remediate the effects of THC. One is pure CBD. You want nano-encapsulated CBD, right? It's a nanoparticle size. This can actually help negate the uh, potential effects, intoxicating effects of THC. So one of the reasons people get Um, so high these days is because a lot of the cannabis has been bred now to have very high amounts of Delta-9 THC and very low amounts of the other cannabinoids, specifically CBD. So in nature, these things are balanced in a certain way, so they all help each other. It's called the entourage effect. But now humans have started going well, THC sells better, so we're going to start breeding it in and we're going to make these products that are only THC. And this happens a lot with sativa strains too because classically sativas are higher in Delta-9 THC and lower in CBD. Indica's, on the other hand, and indica-satiba hybrid's a whole myth. We can get into that if you want, but um, it's really all based on terpenes, just to say it blatantly. And so, uh, you know, with sativas, they have that high amount of THC, low CBD, indica type plants usually have more CBD. Um, that's why when I'm interacting with cannabis, I'm making blends. I'm mixing like a sativa, which is really good for mental stimulation of the upper chakras with a hybrid that's really good for heart opening effects. With a uh, indica, it's really good at like physical tension and trauma release and the lower three chakras. So when you mix them all together, you get the best bang for your buck. And so if you get too high though, you can come back with nano encapsulated CBD and or black pepper kernels. Black pepper kernels have a terpene called beta-caryophyllene, which interacts with uh, a very similar terpene, the same one, found in cannabis, beta-caryophyllene. And so it creates a synergistic effect that can remediate a lot of the uh, challenges that come along with being too intoxicated with cannabis. So those are two products I highly recommend every cannabis person, cannabis enthusiast, keeps on hand, not only for yourself, but... You know, for that friend that every once in a while says, hey, give me a hit, but sometimes they don't know their own tolerance level. Um, If you eat an edible that maybe you thought was five milligrams and it was 50, you know, it's good to have those things around to be responsible. The second part, though, is more the spiritual, emotional, mental side. So the first thing is come back to the breath, right? A lot of the times when you're feeling too high, your breath is up in your chest like this, right? So you want to get your breathing low and slow. I love box breathing for this. I think box breathing is an easy way uh, for anyone, even if they're not into breath work, it's very easy to remember. Count in for four, breathing deep into the belly, hold for four, breathe out for four, and then hold the out breath for four. What a lot of people don't know about cannabis is that smaller doses of cannabis actually trigger the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight-or-flight system. So a lot of people start getting too high, quote-unquote, not because they're actually too intoxicated. Some people are actually too intoxicated, but a lot of people get really anxious because their heart starts beating. This is a very normal thing. It's called, I believe, tachycardia, and it's not necessarily dangerous so long as you don't have any heart conditions. Um, it's relatively safe, but it can definitely be scary if you've never experienced it before. Now, if you're already in an upregulated state, so you've had a really stressful day, and then you connect with cannabis, not being aware of your state of awareness and doing some down-regulatory breathing before you interact with the plant, that's when it can get really scary. So um, I always recommend being aware of how your physiology is before you get into these experiences. But you can use box breathing. And then I like to use a mantra. So the mantra is, I took a medicine and the medicine is working, right? Because before we interact with the plant, we're all gung-ho to interact with the plant and have these experiences, especially if we're aware of some of the things I'm talking about, right? Challenges, things like that. But all too often, it's like once we get into it, we're like, oh, no, this wasn't supposed to be this way. And we keep getting into the shooting all over ourselves. It should be different. It shouldn't be this way, right? It's very similar to an ice bath, right? You ever seen everyone all gung up to get in an ice bath and they get in and they're like, oh, I don't want to be in here, right? It's very similar. And so you just remind yourself why you're there, right? I took a medicine and the medicine is working. And you can add on to that. I took a medicine and the medicine is working the exact way that I intended for it to work. I trust in the process, right? Like those four things, both on the things to keep on hand and the things to do once you're in the experience can really help remediate a overly intoxicating experience.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Good to know. I remember, I think Neil Young might've, yeah, I think Neil Young said that the peppercorn thing. Uh, Willie was Nelson.
1: A, it was, oh, was it Willie Nelson? It was Willie Nelson. Oh, yeah, it, would, yep. it would be he almost had yeah, to stop, okay. Yeah, yeah, he almost had to stop smoking weed because of that and talk about an identity crisis, right? So yeah. I got that from him actually. So shout out to Willie Nelson. <laughs> hey
0: Willie, yeah. He lives over on Maui, I think. Yeah. Oh, cool! That's awesome. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts? I know we're kind of probably gonna to have to wrap it up soon. I don't want to keep hmm. it too long, Ryan. But what, because you brought into my mind about you know the hybrid, hybr- the hybrid uh, weed that is being cloned and constantly you know messed with and stuff. What are your thoughts on the reason that the powers that be? allowed weed to be legal in places. I mean, do you see a nefarious agenda behind it all? You talked about how you saw a lot of money behind it and not the right people behind it, not the love for it, you know, big companies behind it. That scares me, and I probably wouldn't want their product. And furthermore, I wonder what kind of product that they could make that would destroy the natural cannabis and give you some kind of high that they want you to have not the, the, what the plant is supposed to give you.
1: Exactly. You know, uh, I think we need not look farther than tobacco to see kind of what could happen with cannabis. Now, tobacco has been used for millennia all throughout antiquity, and it never gave people cancer until all of a sudden the government and all these people monopolized on it, and they started putting all these carcinogens into it. Uh, They started putting glyphosate. They started spraying with glyphosate, all these things. And Mm so I think there's two sides here. There's a non-conspiracy side, and then there's a side that I do think might be a conspiracy. So the non-conspiracy side is just like people have been trained that THC is the only thing So the breeders want to breed more THC. So people buy their strains. Dispensaries want to have higher amounts of THC. So they sell more. It's kind of like a pissing contest. You know, if, if dispensary A has uh, stronger cannabis than dispensary B, people are going to go to dispensary A because they've been taught to believe that just that delta nine THC is the end all be all. Now, the really funny thing about this is that if you actually look at the science, cannabis has actually lost a lot of its psychedelic properties since the eighties since they started hybridizing things and mixing indicas and sativas together. Because there's a lot of cannabinoids that are not even known yet. Like one was found about three years ago called THCP, which is between seven and, times, uh, seven and 10 times stronger as a CB1 a- antagonist than Delta-9-THC. So what does that translate to? It's much more powerful, it's an intoxicator. But what's happening is cannabinoids like THCP are being bred out because everyone's looking at Delta-9-THC. So, you might see an equatorial sativa, right? That has maybe 8% delta 9 THC that people would literally laugh at, that might have, say, 1% or 2% THCP and actually be much more intoxicating. But people are going to go for, say, the garlic cookies or the garlic sherbet that has 30 plus percent THC because they've been taught to believe that. So, that's the non conspiracy side. That's typical consumerism, right? And capitalism. It's just like, what sells? Let's make more of that. I think the other side, though, with the whole, like, I mean, I, you know, I think I speak for a lot of cannabis people. I think the government fails to recognize that we interact with plant medicines and we smell bullshit a mile away. And this is exactly what it was when the dispensary took us over or this new company took our dispensary over. They came in all corporate like, we love you guys. We're going to keep you all around. We think your skills are valuable. I'm like, guys, I've been eating mushrooms and interacting with cannabis for years. I can smell your bullshit from a mile away. (laughs) And so with the government, right, like... You know, Biden comes in, there's too many people in jail. We need to let people out. This is ridiculous. I'm like, bullshit. What did you guys find that now you can monopolize on? So, one thing people might not understand is that, and to give, you know, I imagine everyone in your podcast is, is very similar in views, but if anyone is like, what is this guy talking about? Conspiracy. Well, think about this. So, the government schedules cannabis as a schedule one, which means that there's no medicinal value. So, that is how it's scheduled at this very moment, right? But at the same time, The government has a patent on cannabis as a neuroprotectant. So essentially what they're saying is cannabis has no medicinal value except the medicinal value that's so valuable that we had to take a patent out on it. So that's the type of shit that I'm looking into where I'm like, okay, what have they figured out where now all of a sudden federal legalization is a thing that they want to do? In all honesty, what I think is happening is that I think Monsanto and these kind of companies, I think Monsanto was renamed, um, but whatever that company is now, I think they're going to try to take control of the seed stock and GMO it, and then they're going to spray it like crazy with pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides, glyphosate in order to monocrop it. Because let's face it, monocropping does not work. I'm a huge regenerative agriculture nerd. I'm certified in Korean natural farming. I understand this stuff. So the reason why all these GMOs and everything is fucking people up is not just because it's GMO'd, but also because they're monocropping it. So in nature, you don't find a thousand of the same thing. You find a very diverse area. Because let's say with cannabis... If you're growing cannabis alongside your pepper plants and tomato plants, well, you're going to notice spider mites go after your pepper plants before your cannabis. And then you're going to have natural predators around that like maybe your uh, your dynamic accumulators like stinging nettle or any of these things, they're going to be hanging around your cannabis and they're going to take the spider mites out. But when you have 10,000 cannabis plants there and nothing else, well, now you're going to need to use these other things to get the pests to go away and the molds and the mildews and everything like that. And so I really think that's what we're going to start seeing. And it's really frustrating. And that's why I'm so big on the new course I'm creating, Grow With Cannabis. You know, the only way that we break this cycle is we start growing it ourselves. And a lot of states now uh, allow home grow. And so what Grow With Cannabis is, is a 17-week self-guided course. We're giving it as cheap as possible, 9.99 or 9 actually. And you're able to have it for life. You're able to learn how to cultivate your own cannabis and really your own food at the same time, because we're teaching you how to cultivate it organically with Korean natural farming, using biogeometry to harmonize your space, you're learning weekly energy practices to make sure that you're showing up to your growworm with high quality energy. Because there's a gentleman that uh, Aubrey Marcus had on a while back. He's been on a lot of shows, but he invented these electrodes that he can put on plants that allow them to make music. So if someone walks in in a very frustrated mood, you'll see their whole song get very minor key, right? If someone walks in very happy, you'll see it get very major key. So we know actually quantitatively now that our energy really plays a role in the final product. And I can tell you in working in one of these corporate dispensaries for a little while that most of these people are putting off terrible energy. They're eating terrible food. They're getting in arguments. They only care about money. They're greed. They're paying yeah. people the less amount of money they can. They're growing cannabis with chemical, salt nutrients. They're growing with you know uh, lights that aren't balanced out with biogeometry, things like that. So all the EMFs and everything are going, Going into the product. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that happening. And the only way we break it, though, is we realize the value of our money that where we place it matters. So if they realize that they're not going to make any money by growing Walmarts of cannabis, then they're not going to be able to do it. You know, the one power we have is our money and our money and where we place it really matters. And so I think if people really want to do something about it, start learning how to grow your own. And one of the reasons I made the course is so you can start teaching other people how to do it too. So take the course, learn how to grow your own, teach other people how to do it and take the money away from these people. And that's what really hit them where it hurts for sure.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, are there any strains that you recommend that are good, that are not, um, tampered with too much that you personally like and just like to interact with
1: yeah so i have a couple different companies that i go through that i really like who uh they are personally and uh number one is my buddy um my buddy over at keys of the kingdom i believe his name is jeff Uh, i met him recently after i went on aubrey and he reached out like dude you got to hear what i'm doing and so he's uh breeding all of his strains in an organic setup so why this matters aside from like the spiritual component of like, you know, the energy and things. Cause I know for some people, I may be like, that's woo woo. Well, why it matters in terms of like your quality of product is because. If you're growing cannabis in an organic setup and you buy seeds that were cultivated in a rock wool setup or a hydroponic setup, it's going to take you a lot longer for your genetics to reach full genetic potential in an organic setup. And so what this translates to is diminished yield, diminished quality, um, all the things that most cannabis growers really focus on, right? And so on the other hand, if you decide to work with genetics that were bred in an organic um, setup, then what's going to happen is you're going to be able to reach full genetic potential much quicker, usually on the first run, because the the genetics were bred in that same system. And so Keys to the Kingdom is a fantastic company. I'm currently running their Eastern Rebellion and White Wedding. Nothing but good things to say about them. Uh, their hearts are in the right place, too. They're doing a lot of cool stuff. They're using crystals in their grow, they're using sacred geometry. I mean, nice. they're really cool. And they're who I'm teaming up with for the grow course. They're the genetics I recommend in there. There's also a guy named Corey up in Maine that runs Weaving Genetics. Uh, that makes a lot of really beautiful uh, strains all in an organic setup um, that are like one-to-one. Uh, my buddy Quinn up there as well, he's not a breeder, but if you're in Maine, uh, he's a legal grower up there, sells the dispensaries. He's a great guy to look out for. His grow name, I think, is Professor Q. Um, but you know, look for people like, and you know, again, like if you're going to dispensaries, start asking them that you want no-till grown cannabis, you want organic cannabis, you want cannabis grown with Korean natural farming, and start seeking out the dispensaries. There's not many of them, but there are some Uh, In certain states, like Maine is a big one for sure, that are really passionate. About putting the highest quality cannabis out, way past just the numbers on the testing results, right? Like, we're talking like cannabis that was grown with love. And the same way that we all know that when mom makes her chicken noodle soup, it tastes differently because she made it with love, it's very similar, right? Like, these things are very qualitative in nature. Like, qualitative things are really hard for our typical or our current society to understand because we're in such a left brain point of view. But You know, let me let me say this. Right. So, again, most of your audience, I imagine, already is picking up what I'm putting down. But, you know, a lot of people tell me, well, you know, you can't prove that energy matters in the equation. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I can't. Right. I can't show you a scientific study. But those same people I ask, hey, can you tell me how many units of love you have for your wife versus your kid? Can you tell me how that differs? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, cool, but you still know that you love them, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So is it only able? Are we only able to know what we can see and measure with our eyes? Because science also says we only see 4% of visible reality. So the same people saying trust the science are the same people that proved that we're only seeing 4% of what's actually there. And what psychedelics, plant medicines, and everything do is we start to broaden that four percent. And what I'm here to tell you is that you can actually stabilize that. You can start seeing more and more tuning more into your intuition, tuning more into your clear senses. You know, actually start feeling the ripple effect of all the things I'm talking about. And so, what I would say is that Keys to the Kingdom, uh, Weaving Genetics. Um, there's another site called Regenerative Seed Co. I believe is the website where this guy, Joshua Rutherford, another great grower from like the Washington uh, area, he started a collective where basically every breeder on there cultivates their and breeds their uh, genetics in an organic setup. And so there's a great conference as well called, I always get it wrong, it's like the Science of Organic Regenerative Cannabis Conference or something. Great conference. Um, They do one in Humboldt. They do one in uh, Michigan. They do one in Maine. They do a couple others too. I think one might be in Alaska. Um, but those are great to go out to, you know, it's a bunch of local growers coming out with their like prize genetics and it's just like free seed galore. Everyone trades seeds. It's real cannabis culture. Like what is true cannabis culture? You need not look farther than Bob Marley. Right. Like think about who Bar Molly was. That's what real cannabis culture is. Cannabis culture is not the dude in a suit who his projection showed he's going to make money on cannabis this year. And now he's cutthroating every other dispenser around and, you know, cutting out all the mom and pops. That's not cannabis culture. And it's up to us to make sure that that's not what people know to be cannabis culture.
0: Yeah, I feel that 100 percent, 100 percent, man. <laughs> I don't know. Um do you have time to get into psychedelics for just a minute or are you, are you, now, uh, dude, let's go. Okay, cool. Okay. okay. Yeah. That'll work. Perfect. Um, Yeah. But the, just to conclude that um, I, I know for a fact that that love component in the cannabis really works. I have a friend that's a grower and whenever I get it from him, I know he's a good guy and he puts, there's something about that stuff that brings me way higher in a good way, not in like stone, but just, vibe it's um vibrationally higher than something i would get from a dispensary so
1: less it's interference yeah yeah it's like You know, like I tell everyone, I'm like, when you're buying this corporate cannabis, you're having to interact with other people's anxiety, paranoia, greed, et cetera. Like it's very similar to, we all understand factory farm meat, right? We all know that, oh, if you buy factory farm meat, the animals are stressed out when they pass on, you're then eating meat that was stressed out and anxious. The same fucking thing happens with plants, right? Like There's no difference. There's a difference in consciousness between an animal and a plant, but the same type of uh, situation applies. And so what I tell everyone is the reason why you either want to have a really good friend who grows it, or you want to grow it yourself is because then you know, especially if you're growing yourself, that the only energy you're interacting with is yours. So if you're feeling anxious, okay, look within, you don't have to be like, is this the other person's anxiety that now I'm feeling as a result of buying cannabis from them? Like there's so much like analysis paralysis happens. And that's why I'm such a fan of either having like, know your growers, right? The same way that you want to know your farmers, you want to know your growers or you want to be the grower yourself. So hell yeah, man.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yep. For sure. Well, Hey, Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be who I am today without the that expanded consciousness that psychedelics brought me. I'm so glad to have gone on that ride. Um, And I might even say it should be a prerequisite that many need to do before understanding the truth on the planet and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And sometimes it sheds that extra layer of propaganda so people can accept the truth. And I, I have a love for psychedelics, but I know that I also have that same fear for psychedelics is i know that they can really like i mean yeah like i talked about going um losing it on cannabis but you know with these substances these plants can really bring you out there and of course it's not for everybody neither is cannabis Mm. but um where do you where do you fit in with how often someone should take psychedelics and the use of that and the user manual for all that too
1: Yeah, you know, so I'll go back to something I said before with great power comes great responsibility. And, you know, I think uh, for most people, If you don't have some type of spiritual practice, and this could simply be like going for a walk every night, it doesn't have to be like, you know, meditating under a copper pyramid, it can be if you want to, I love that kind of stuff. But I think for a lot of people, like they might not have access to that kind of stuff. And so I think unless you have some type of like, morning ritual, nighttime ritual time by yourself with yourself to really understand whether or not you're being called to these medicines, Or if you're just like hearing what someone else heard or felt from them and then saying, oh, because so-and-so that I trust enjoyed it, I will objectively enjoy it too. I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble. And it's not like, again, like I understand where it comes from, especially now that psychedelics, like whenever anything is demonized for so long – and then all of a sudden it's like the in thing where not only is it like, you know, being decriminalized, but also like John Hopkins and like Harvard and all these like prestigious schools are coming out with like microdosing yeah. is the new thing. Right. Gwyneth Paltrow's got her own show, you know, like Joe Rogan's talking about it all the time, which is great. I love that. But at the same time, we're thinking we're we're talking about a population here. That is already proven over the last three years that it's very easy for them to externalize their power and just regurgitate other people's experience of life. And so now we're playing with fire when we put psychedelics into that. And so what I say, very similar to you, is that psychedelics are not meant for everyone, uh, including cannabis, because I do classify cannabis as a psychedelic, even though many people disagree with that. But, you know, for me, I just say it really is about knowing yourself. And so, ask yourself: like, is this something that I truly want because I'm feeling the call deep within me, or is it something that I heard from someone and maybe I'm just looking to go try it out? And neither are like uh, neither of those will tell you objectively if you should do psychedelics, but at least they give you a breadcrumb trail to follow. So, for instance, maybe you heard someone talk about them and you're really interested in what their experience was, and you're like, I want to do it, right? Okay, cool. Well, maybe go meet with a shaman, go meet with a coach and figure out like, what is your intention here? What are you looking to get from this experience? Okay. Then who are you looking to have facilitate for you? That's a big thing, too. We all know right now there's a lot of uh, sham mans out there that went to Burning Man once and now are Bufo shaman, right? So, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, these things happen, right? And again, I think these people have the best of intentions, but when you're messing with these kind of medicines, you know, you are disintegrating your normal least some reality. And so if you don't understand and have someone there to help you integrate and reintegrate into your normal lease on reality, then you can become fragmented and you can become traumatized. And then at best, you just don't want to go into these medicines again, and you might miss out on experiences that really could help you expand your level of consciousness. At worst, you could potentially never come back the same person again. You know, I don't mean to say this in terms of like fear mongering. It's not fear mongering. I've done a lot of psychedelics in my life and I've had beautiful experiences. I've also traumatized myself a couple of times. So I know these things happen. And I've also had to remediate quite a few clients that have gone too far too quick. And so again, with my situation and also with these clients, it was just like they, they got like you know, they got FOMO and they just decided to jump in without realizing they weren't really in the space for it. So this goes back to like set and setting, right? So like, what is your mindset? Did you like just get in a huge argument with someone and now you're about to take a five gram dose of mushrooms? Well, I'm not saying you can't do that, but I'm saying like your level of toolkit And your level of awareness better be fucking sky high, right? As soon as that challenge starts happening, you better be able to go, okay, this is happening for me. I took a medicine. The medicine is working. I'm okay. I'm not dying. I'm fine. Because if you're not able to do that, yikes. Like that's going to be, as Shaggy would say, zoinks real quick, right? And so, (laughs) you know, I think when it comes to these kind of things, like just awareness is the name of the game, right? Like I'm a huge psychedelic proponent. They've done incredible things for me in my life. But also, I'm not naive enough to think that like, Dose the planet. Everyone will, you know, and interact with it. Everyone will be able to. But I do think I agree with what Jamie Wheel states. He says, let's say there's 10% of people in the population that are true psychonauts, right? Like psychedelics and them just really get along and they're open to exploring the deepest realms they can get into. Then let's say there's 10% of people on the opposite side of the spectrum that are like, should never interact with psychedelics at all. Well, this, you know, for psychosis or schizophrenia or something, right? Mm There's 80% of the people in the middle. They might benefit from one to maybe three or five psychedelic experiences in their life at like very pivotal moments. So maybe they graduated college. Maybe they got married. Maybe they had a kid. Maybe they had a loved one die, right? Like, you know, but again, like, I think that education... Harm reduction, minimum effective dosing and integration. These things are so important. And it's part of the reason I'm doing with cannabis because if someone takes Kineco with cannabis, all the same things that you learn and they apply with psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, ayahuasca, boga, peyote, 5-omeo DMT, like all these other medicines, it's very similar. You're setting an attention. You're making sure you have a high quality set and setting. You're making sure you have a ceremony that you're going through, right? And you're making sure you're integrating after. And you're making sure that if you are going into one of these deeper medicines, or even if it's cannabis and you're new to it, you're making sure you're having a sitter there. Someone that can make sure that like, if you're like, the room's falling and I'm going to die. They're like, hey, everything's fine. I'm in a sober state. You're good. Just lay there. You took a medicine. The medicine is working. Do you need some water. Can you need help go into the bathroom, right? Like these kind of things, they sound kind of silly to us to like have done psychedelics a lot, but you know, you got to imagine like, you know, I witnessed this at a dispensary. So here I am, a daily user of cannabis. And at this point, I had no idea what the true power of cannabis was anymore just because I was using it every day. So I forgot how strong it could be. And then here's this 70-year-old elderly woman coming in who's never interacted with cannabis before and or maybe has one time because she's coming in and saying, hey... I went to this other dispensary, and they recommended I do a 25-milligram edible, which doesn't sound like a lot to any of us that interact with cannabis a lot. But for someone like that, who doesn't know if they're a slow or fast metabolizer of THC, doesn't understand what their tolerance is, they take that. They've never shifted their consciousness in that way. Maybe they've just drank wine in their lifetime, and all of a sudden, they're petrified. And now that person is the one at the meetings in the town saying, don't bring these drugs here. They're just stupid. (laughs) They're drugs, right? So like, again, it's all up to us to be responsible and be the change we want to see. Like, if we really want to see these medicines get the respect they deserve and be able to help heal the planet, because let's face it, the planet's going through some really fucking weird shit. And I think the planet's going to be fine. But whether or not we're there to see the planet be fine is a whole nother story. And so if we want to be able to up-level our awareness very quickly as a collective, we need to be able to like, be responsible with these things, and the people that interact with psychedelics a lot. We need to be able to have these conversations. We need to be able to show the world what a psychedelic user and psychedelic proponent looks like, what they act like, how they speak. You know that they can have direct eye contact. They're not these boogeymen. They're not you know burnouts like these kind of things will help destigmatize because those things were never true, but. We're living in programming, like you said in the beginning of this episode, we're living in a lot of programming that a yep. lot of people still believe is true. And so it's up to us that have broken free of that to show people through actions, right? Because actions speak a lot of the words that we're not that kind of kind of person, that we're not saying everyone should interact with psychedelics all the time, that they'll fix everyone because they won't, right? Like, you know, there's certain people that just can't interact with them, but there's also a lot of people that will benefit from them. And so I think that's what I would say on that overall, for sure.
0: Hey, man, I've benefited just from talking to you during this. I've learned a lot of things.
1: Yeah, Oh, yeah, dude. Likewise, bro. I love this. So much fun.
0: Good, man. And you're always welcome back on the show, Ryan. It's good to, you you know, because we don't, this conversation doesn't get talked about enough, honestly. We have a world of broken people raised by broken people, and it's a broken world in most circumstances. Mm -hmm. And we use these things to numb out or um, find some kind of escape. But there's just no I keep saying it no user's manual to all this, so we have a lot of people that are misusing and not getting the true benefits of what these plants have to offer so it's good to hear this being put into words because honestly, I don't know very many places that it is so yeah. but yeah it's a it's an important it's an important thing for everybody to you know. Chime into even if you don't use it and you have somebody that you know that does, they need to learn this too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like you want your entire life to become a psychedelic, right? Like that's the goal. That's my goal. Like I want to wake up every day and feel like the mind of a child, right? I'm not a yeah. religious person whatsoever, very spiritual, but I know a good line when I hear it. The Bible states if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must first enter the mind of a child. What is the mind of a child? Curiosity, imagination, awe, wonder. What do psychedelics do? At their best, curiosity, imagination, awe, wonder. But at the same time, we know from watching kids, they're not taking psychedelics. They're just on, like, their life is psychedelic. And then we get adulterated, right? Adulterated, right? Yeah. And we start losing that. Well, we can become unadulterated with psychedelics, but if we start to actually learn from them, what they'll teach us is like, hey... You don't need us to access that, right? Like you can always come to us for reminders or when you get stuck or things like that. But like, dude, you don't want to have the enjoyment of your life be like six hour segments once or twice a week, right? Or every night. Like you want to have it as much as possible. And so that's my whole mission is like help people like be in such a joy state that they're just fucking high on life. And that is attractive and intoxicating the people you're around. You know, like even people that are billionaires, millionaires, whatever, you want to get through to these people you embody it, right? Be around them and be so fucking happy that they can't, they can't help but notice it. They can't help but be like, dude, what are you doing? How are you like that all the time? And then the invitation's been made. They're now curious, right? Because you know what every human wants? They want true joy and they want to be able to find their joy and give it to others. That's as simple as life is for me. Find my joy, give it to others. And so if we can do that with the help of psychedelics, we can help other people turn on to them and interact with them consciously, responsibly, intentionally, and ceremonially, and the whole world will change. And that's my vision for the world.
0: Awesome, Ryan. Awesome. Do you want to plug some of your um you want to plug your website and all the things yeah. you do? And uh, I really enjoy all the things you're saying. I it, it came to me about a month ago, when I was talking to somebody on this podcast, that my mission is to break people, to show them there's amazing, miraculous world outside of normal life. In quotes here for the audio people, and <laughs> not um, just the mundane life. That that there's so much that we don't know, and it's such an amazing world. And I, I that's what I, my uh, intuition told me about a month ago when I was talking to this girl at this desk who was totally uninspired. And I was able to kind of like break her out. And she was like, wow, really? You know, just that. And that's, then I realized, you know, that's what I do with this show. And it's important for all of us that are filled with this enthusiasm, which I think actually has a root word to be in filled with God. I'm pretty sure it's something of that enthusiasm to show people that outside of this system reality, World, the world is amazing, incredible, exciting, mysterious, and so much more. And these plants can help us do that too. But go ahead and pl- plug your stuff and whatever else you'd like to say before we uh, exit out of here.
1: Yeah, Lum, this has been amazing, man. And I love that you brought up you know, God there because, you know, again, I'm not a religious person. God, for a lot of people, is a charged it. term. You can change it out for quantum, source, universe, whatever you want to call it. But you know, that, like, I really feel like why we're here is self-realization. Realizing, like, just like Jesus or Buddha, if any of these people actually lived, what they were, or the metaphor of what they were, which is they really woke up and knew and embodied the fact that they were God before they passed on, right? And so, like, exactly what you're talking about is exactly my mission, too. It's, like, to break people out of it and help them realize and actually have self-realization. It's such a big thing. And, and you know, like, it doesn't have to be, like, teaching someone all the, you have to be super structured and meditate every day and blah, 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 because that just feels like homework, right? It's just being joyous around them. That can be enough to break them out. You don't need psychedelics. You don't need any of this stuff. These things can be great allies to lean on, but all you need to do is just hold the door and smile for someone. You never know the ripple effect of what you're going to do or what you do uh, in the world and what it's going to be. And so um, if people want to find me, the best place is at the Real Ryan Sprague on Instagram. Uh, I respond to all my messages. I love chatting. You guys can probably tell by now. I'm a talker. I fucking love this stuff. So reach out with your questions, insights, awarenesses, ideas, anything. I'm happy to talk. Um, the business profile is at highly.optimized. So on both profiles, we're sharing a lot of stuff with cannabis, but we're doing the podcast releases on highly optimized. Um, and then I have the two podcasts, highly optimized podcast, which showcases conscious leaders living a life beat to their own drum. And the trials and tribulations they've undertaken to live life on their own terms think about a classic hero's journey podcast and then the this one time on psychedelics podcast where we dive into true firsthand accounts of the experiences benefits risks and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of psychedelic medicines and what we do on there too is we smash the fucking stereotype of a psychedelic proponent we show people through actions and embodiment what a psychedelic proponent is right? The businesses they run, the people in their life that love them, and the people in their life that they love, all the things that help people break free of that matrix of what a psychedelic user has been told to them that that is. And so those are the two podcasts. You can find them on Spotify, Apple, all the places. I'd love to have you on Loomis to this one time on psychedelics. Sure. It'd be awesome. So we'll set that up for sure. And then uh, on my link tree, you can find access to my free community, The ceremony circle. So I know a lot of people might be stuck financially right now. And, you know, finance is a a scapegoat in a way, right? Oh, well, I'd love to get help, but I can't afford it. Well, I have a free group, so no excuses, right? You need help. You get into that group. We're talking a lot in there about conscious cannabis. We're talking about a lot of different things, but I am always available. If Someone is willing to do the work. I don't care. If, you know, how much you can pay me, I'm willing to help you out. Even if it's just like lending an ear every once in a while, I love this stuff. It's what I'm here on earth to do. So please do not think that just because you can't afford something that you're completely out of the equation, right? Like I love this stuff. And then if you are willing to take the full ride into what I do, there is the connect with cannabis program, uh, which is a 12 week certification program designed to help you break dependency and create a healthy relationship with the plant, uh, learn how to interact with it intentionally and ceremonially and be certified to help other people do this too. With federal legalization coming, There is a huge epidemic of people that are stuck in this numbing out pattern with cannabis, and there's no one out there doing it. So if you're a coach, facilitator, guide, educator, et cetera, and you want to set yourself apart with a unique skill set that applies to so many different archetypes of human, hop in the Connect with Cannabis program. Uh, You get access to the alumni community for life. So the support never ends in there. And then we also have the Grow with Cannabis course as well, like I was mentioning, a 17 week self-guided course to help you not only grow the highest quality medicine you possibly can, but also To train you to be a consultant to go out and help other people do that too. Again, with more and more states allowing home grow, there's going to be people that want to learn how to grow, and you'll be set up with the skill set to do that. And then for anyone who just wants to take a peek into the world, you can download the Conscious Cannabis Guide. I'll give it to you for the show notes um, that will go into the three-step process we outlined here: intention and ceremony, surrender and integration, uh, and then also the three ways to understand the language in which cannabis speaks, which is feminine medicine a mirror and imagination medicine. And it goes, it's an hour long, um, you know, course that you can go through with that. And so, uh, if people are looking to find me, that's where you can find me. I got a lot of different things, but you know, they're all dedicated around helping people become their own gurus in life because that's what I love.
0: Me too. Awesome. Ryan. <laughs> you're, you're always welcome back on this show and I'll, I'll happily come and guest on your show. And, and, uh, that's great. Everything you're doing is helping. And I, I think a lot of people can benefit from this podcast today. So um, thank you, man. Take care. And um, thanks for chanting down the system.
1: Woohoo. Aho. <laughs>
0: yeah. I hope you enjoyed that. I did. And. This interview gives you the ingredients to master your weed smoke. And really, a lot of people just don't treat it right. And it's an important thing to have in your life for the reasons described on this show. But also, not to overuse and overreview it. I see it way too much. And that doesn't do anything for your life. But you know, maybe you're not a weed smoker, and that's okay too. Uh, but use that as a metaphor on this show to want to master everything in your life you want to be able to master all the different components of your life so you own you and then you go out in the world and help others and transform them and break them out the matrix and show them a person that's a pleasure to be around and break them free and show them there's much more than the system gives them and so hey if you enjoy this show you might want to Throw a few dollars my way if you can. It helps if you find value in this show. Uh, You can buy a t-shirt. You can buy an album. All this is on the website, channandownradio.com. Or you can subscribe to my Patreon, which is patreon backslash Loomis L-U-E-M-A-S. And that will um, be part of something real soon because I just finished the intro to the new show, the Patreon-only show, Afterthoughts, which will be me talking about various subjects, about all the different shows I've done, and adding things in, and just, you know, it's a list, It's a listener-only show. For those of you that would love, chant it down, help support it, go to Afterthoughts. And then the final component to this show is doing the live streams. Once I get that done once a month, I'll be doing everything I want to do with this show. And I hope that you can uh, enjoy the experience of all the different wide variety of topics and guests that I try to give you. That's what what I want to do. Give a piece of that to you. And in turn, you regurgitate it and hopefully it helps the world. Much love, you guys. Be a warrior, not a warrior. Chant it down. Don't forget to chant down the system in every angle you can and enjoy your smoke.
1: Chant It Down Radio is coming to you live from the Hawaiian Islands. Coming from the perspective of complete freedom. Coming from wisdom outside the system and then some. This is the mouthpiece of the natural earth forgotten. At this point in time,
0: humanity's been kept from the truth, so Chant It Down Radio offers the coordinates to a path out you're searching for something whole cause what you see real lie. you're watching this world unfold the truth beneath the lies rekindling what's been stolen the need to free one's mind uncover the truth exposed so be People see the light let's chant it down so we can know its simple we just break it down a little bit so we can process all make the switch elevate yourself to conscious mode and it's beneficial so we can get this kinds of flow. and get the future gender want to start the whole thing with the message ready. we can start a boat taking the assimilating getting lots of numbers waking up the we try to stop hypnosis.